All of the newest episodes of Note to Self are now available on the Luminary Podcast app. It's free to download, and you can also listen to other podcasts from WNYC Studios, like Radiolab, Two Dope Queens, Snap Judgment, Here's the Thing with Alec Baldwin, and others. Luminary Premium is the only place where you can enjoy the entire new season of Note to Self, plus new original podcasts you won't find anywhere else, from Trevor Noah, Roxanne Gay, Guy Raz, Lena Dunham, and many more. And you can enjoy them ad-free. Start your free trial by going to luminary.link slash note to self or download the Luminary app for free. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hello, friend. This is an episode of Note to Self, but from when we used to be called New Tech City. Same good content, just the old name. Enjoy. Sean Haufler is a senior at Yale University, and he loves the new messaging app Snapchat. If I see something funny or like interesting, or if I want to let my girlfriend know what I'm thinking, I'll send her a picture of, of my face. You see, Sean likes it so much because everything he sends on Snapchat vanishes just seconds after it's opened. It lets you be like less self-conscious about what, what you send. So I think people on Facebook are very self-aware of what content they put on it because they know that it's permanent and they know that people look at that content all the time and sometimes judge you based on that content. So knowing something will automatically be deleted can change what we actually say to each other, the entire way that we interact. Today on New Tech City, we embrace the delete key and question our autosave habits. I'm Anoush Samarodi. This is New Tech City. And come along as we travel around the nation and actually the world to ask people, each with very different niche expertise, what's up with our computers, our email accounts and our phones automatically saving everything? For example, right now I am going to delete this message in my Gmail account on my iPhone. And looky here, it automatically gets archived, not trashed. It's how many of the companies we rely on work. But let's ask a crazy question. What would happen if they didn't save so much? For environmental reasons? For sanity reasons? For societal reasons? And actually, it's not that crazy a question. Snapchat is raking in new customers like Sean Haufler, so many customers that they famously snubbed Facebook's $3 billion offer to buy them. And that competitors like Confide, Wink, ClipChat are popping up too, trying to trade in on being more ephemeral. Maybe we should end autosave and replace it with a grand purge. Or maybe this is just a really stupid idea. Let's find out. Yeah. So do you think that you and your classmates would rather have more of your data disappear automatically, kind of like Snapchat has turned you on to? Like, could, we, um, could this apply to all sorts of things? I think it really depends on the content and uh, the context, right? So it's very effective for private and personal messages where it just kind of lets you remove filters, where when you're being recorded, you are more careful about how you speak just so that it comes across clearly and like adds another layer between you and what you're saying. Whereas Like you are Snapchat, right now. Yes, yes, right now. <laughs> And with Snapchat, you can be less self-conscious in that sense. Okay, so could could we pretend to like talk like Snapchat? Could we do that? Um, I'm not sure if it works that way. No. Uh, 
what you could do is after this interview, send mm-hmm. a Snapchat to my producer, Alex, to sort of sum up this interview. And no, and no one will yeah, ever know. It'll just be between us. Sure. Cool. We'll do. Betsy Sparrow is a psychology professor at Columbia University where she studies memory, specifically how our memories change depending on how or if we delete or save something. Hi, Betsy. Hi. Okay, so Betsy, entertain our modest proposal here. Imagine a world where we just didn't save our emails and texts as much. We just didn't save them. What would happen? I think if we didn't save things as much as we do, so if we didn't archive all of our emails, if we didn't have access to uh, to the Internet, we would remember more because we would know that we wouldn't have access to this external memory system that we have with email and online news sources and that kind of thing. So this sort of begs the question to me, um, you know, when I was younger, I knew everybody's phone number. Like, I knew everybody's phone number, and now Mm -hmm. I don't know anyone's phone number. If I lost my phone, I could not call my mother. What happens, like, do we decide... Okay, so I'm not going to remember phone numbers, therefore space in my brain is now freed up for, I don't know, more interesting and important things? Well, I don't know if we decide that. I think we've automatically decided not to remember phone numbers. I don't think it's something anybody consciously decided to do. It's just, you know, they're there, so you don't know them. I don't know my sisters either. But if our phones were taken away, just like a female was taken away, within a week at most, two weeks, we would remember phone numbers again. The architecture of our brain has not changed. We still have a working memory. It's just there's so much information out there in the world that we remember probably even more than we ever used to. It just feels to us like we don't remember as much. So is this a good or a bad thing that we're starting to remember different kinds of things than we used to? So one thing that I found is that when people don't try to memorize things, they're better able to solve creative problems. So if you don't have that kind of chronic activation of the things that like you usually think of, the things that keep you from thinking outside the box, to use an overused phrase, when that stuff isn't activated like it isn't when you haven't memorized it, you have better access to like the less activated thing, the thing that's maybe not so obvious to you. And so it's a, it's a new solution that you can use. And that's one aspect that we found that is a benefit from not having to memorize every little thing. Huh. So that could mean that because I don't have to remember things, I could come up with new ideas simply by virtue of freeing up sort of some space in between my ears. But here's my problem, and maybe you find this as well. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming that because I've saved it, I will be able to find it again. Well, I'll I'll put this in a safe place, and then I can access it when I need it. But A, I either forget that I saved it to begin with, or B, I haven't figured out how to organize it so that my brain can access it quickly. Right. Do you have any tricks for that? or um, I can't offhand come up with tricks for that. What we have found is that people are remembering where to find things instead of the things themselves, which is really interesting because we're so you know early on in this kind of digital age. But people are already starting to do that where they're prioritizing one or the other. So I guess finally, what would you say to someone who's like, man, uh, saving everything, I, I feel like I'm getting dumber because I save everything. I would say that I don't think you are. People sometimes equate uh, memorization with intelligence, and I wouldn't. Betsy Sparrow is a psychology professor at Columbia University, where she studies memory. Betsy, thank you so much. Uh, Thank you. So maybe if our phones and email never saved our files, then we'd all have better recall of those little things like phone numbers and addresses. 
On the other hand, it could be a trade-off of brain space for the bigger, more creative thoughts that now have space in our heads to flourish. Hmm. If we're asking about the benefits of deleting more, we have to ask, what happens to all the stuff we save? Are all those servers in various parts of the country humming away as they hold onto our digital goodies? Are they just wasting energy, polluting the earth in the name of those pictures I took of that yogurt parfait that I ate last Tuesday? If you aggregated the amount of electricity that is required to power the Internet and deliver uh, and store our data and compared that against the electricity consumption of countries, it would rank about six. So that's significant. Gary Cook is an IT analyst for Greenpeace, and he wants us to ask... What is the footprint of our online lives? Should we be endlessly storing every single photo we have taken in the last five years in the cloud or on our Facebook page? Obviously, we don't need all the e-crap we automatically store. We just don't. Gary and Greenpeace say we should start asking if those massive server farms are powered with renewable energy, because otherwise we're headed for an e-disaster. Our... Data use is growing every single day by leaps and bounds, and the so is the amount of energy that is required to deliver that data. Uh, but just when you think we should blame the digital age for our demise, in comes Jonathan Kumi. He knows something about saving data. In fact, he knows so much about all the computing power it takes to save it all that he has a computing law named after him, Kumi's Law. He's a research fellow at the Steyer Taylor Center for Energy Policy and Finance at Stanford University. So, John, why should we or shouldn't we have our email just auto-delete a whole lot more? Why are we holding on to everything? Well, I think it's valuable to have a record of what's gone before. I think it's important uh, sometimes to be able to access information that you generated years ago. But I think figuring out what's important and what isn't is part of what needs to go on here because we're, we're getting overwhelmed by the amount of information. It's not really a resource question. It's much more about our time and our ability to figure out what's important and what isn't. And this is what the law named after you is all about. That is just so cool. What is Kumi's law? So we studied the progress in the efficiency of computing over the last 60 plus years. And we found that the uh, efficiency of computing measured in computations per kilowatt hour doubled roughly every year and a half since the beginning of the computer age. And so what you're saying with Kumi's law is even as our phones and sensors everywhere create more data, we aren't going to need more and more servers and therefore use more and more energy, which is what I would think would happen. Yeah, so that's that's exactly right. The amount of information you can collect is increasing exponentially, typically doubling every year or two. And that, that does not mean that the energy needed to collect all those data and to store them has to increase at the same pace. Those are two separate things. So what are companies doing to deal with all the information they get, you know, in terms of cutting down on their electricity bills? Well, there's different ways to organize data center operations. So there's some management changes you can do. Uh, you can also do clever things. Uh, Facebook has what you might call cold storage for old photographs. So for the most current photographs that exist, you want those instantly to come up. So you posted them last week. You'd like to see them again. Your friends will see them. So they have very fast storage for that. But for the photos that are two months or three months old, they put them in a different kind of storage that's much less resource intensive. It might take a little bit longer to come up. 
uh, but the energy savings and the cost savings are substantial. So we can get a whole lot more clever about how we store data. But in terms of the environmental impact of keeping all this information and data, that's not really the reason to go for deleting things. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. You know, it's a very small amount of electricity. It's not that much to worry about. There are other issues about whether we should have all this data. And uh, for me, the most important thing is the time it takes to sort through it. There's all sorts of issues. You know, when you have thousands of photographs, how do you decide which ones you put in the book for posterity for your kids? I just put it and, off. I'm just going to decide at another point. I don't know when that point's going to come, but it's not tomorrow, and it's certainly not today. Sorting through it all takes time, and that to me is a limiting factor. It's not computing. It's not electricity. It's not resources. It's all about people's time. Okay, Jonathan Kumi. He's a research fellow at the Steyer Taylor Center for Energy Policy and Finance at Stanford, and he has a law named after him, Kumi's Law. So Jonathan Kumi doesn't think the energy issue is really the reason to stop saving everything. And it seems like we're kind of at a stalemate on the environmental angle. But yeah, we should aim for all our personal clouds to eventually be solar powered. But what about the impact on our lives? What is collecting and keeping everything doing to us? Martin Hilbert is Economics Affairs Officer of the United Nations, and he looks at how the digitization of information and communications is affecting all of our societies. And he joins us on the line from Chile via Skype. And Martin, how much data are we humans actually creating on a daily basis? Can we even comprehend it? Oh, yeah, we can comprehend it very well. It's uh, actually it's exponentially growing and um it's a it's a huge amount. We create a couple of a couple of hundred newspapers information each one of us every day. So it's a huge amount, and these numbers are always changing. It depends a lot on how we're measuring it and how we compress it, but that's about it. So wait, just give us a few numbers because I think when I was doing my research on you, you were using the word exabyte, and I had only heard of a terabyte. Yeah, an exabyte. So it's uh, it's kilo. Mega, giga, peta, tera, exa, right? And then comes seta, actually. We'll get used to, to these ones as well, but that's actually how it grows. Okay, so Martin, how much of the data that we're creating, this deluge, is actually useful? What's the point of keeping it all? There are two reasons for it. One is you can look it up again, um, and then you, you have all this basically data, you store it, in its, store it in its raw form, or what is for me much more interesting is uh, you create knowledge out of this uh, data. Basically, to create knowledge out of information is, means that we compress it. That's the technical term, compression. The other term would be learning. So we learn something about it, and that's then basically knowledge that helps us to make predictions. So these are the two things. We can just archive it, and then we have everything to look up. Or the other way is we just foster through it and try to create knowledge in the form of algorithms, for example. But if we are compressing it or learning from it after we've done that, shouldn't we be able to delete it after that and move on to the next set of data? Yes, probably yes. If you're sure you got all the knowledge out of it, I would agree. And if you don't need it for any archival reasons anymore, I mean, you're not interested in that anymore, um, and then you could go on. Now, the question is, are you sure you got all the knowledge out of it that you really wanted? So these new apps like Snapchat that sort of self-destruct after a certain amount of time, do they pain you? Do they make you sad because you can't extract the data out of them? 
If you want to learn, you need the data. If you want to create knowledge, you need the data. And if you don't want to create the knowledge, you don't want anybody else to create knowledge about you, be it a future employer or be it um, the National Intelligence Agency, you know, then, then you rather don't want to store this information. So take us into the future when, as you described it, we have potentially exponentially, oh, I like that, potentially exponentially more data per person. I mean, how are we going to deal with it? So the only way we deal with it is we fight fire with fire. We create digital technology that helps us to sort through this information because our biological brains are certainly not made to sort through it. So while the last 20 years we focused a lot on creating more information and data, I think the next 10 or 20 or 30 years will focus on creating intelligent solutions to extract knowledge from it. Brings me back to my former point. So, for example, this big data paradigm, what they talk about, focuses a lot on that. The big data paradigm is not so much on how big the data is. It's actually about big data analysis. We extract knowledge from it. We analyze it. And that's the challenge for the decades to come. Okay, last question for you. When I delete something, does it actually completely go away? Nobody really deletes information because... Technically, the reason is that deleting information always requires energy. Uh, so basically, and, and, and our computers get already very hot. You know that when you put your laptop on your, on, on your lap, for example, you see how hot it becomes because it processes energy. Now, if you delete things, it will become really, really hot. So basically, what computers do is they don't delete it. They just give the machine permission to override it. But until it's overwritten, it's actually still there. And even afterwards, there are ways to, to sometimes extract it. So actually, usually information also from these apps, from the snapshots, they don't really get deleted. So if you really uh, worry about privacy issues and about intelligence services scooping you out, then uh, they, these, these apps don't really help because there are still ways you can, you can get the information back. Martin Hilbert is Economic Affairs Officer at the UN. Thank you so much, Martin. Thank you for having me. Okay, we've been around the world getting different perspectives on our big question. Should we stop saving our digital everything? When people don't try to memorize things, they're better able to solve creative problems. That's our memory lady, Dr. Betsy Sparrow. And she says that by saving relatively trivial stuff like phone numbers, we've now got more space in our brains for thinking about ideas. While the guys looking at our delete dilemma from a green point of view differ. Should we be endlessly storing every single photo we have taken in the last five years? The footprint of our online lives is growing so fast that it could threaten the environment. That's according to Greenpeace's Gary Cook. While Stanford's Jonathan Kumi thinks the energy used to save everything can stay contained. It's a very small amount of electricity. It's not that much to worry about. Finally, when it comes to furthering society, the UN's Martin Hilbert, well, he reminds us that we can only draw bigger conclusions, learn, if we look at all we save online as a whole. Otherwise, what's the point? If you want to create knowledge, you need the data. But here's the thing, and I forgot to mention this earlier. I also have a law named after me. Yes, Zamorodi's Law. And that law states that whatever you delete today, you're going to be looking for it tomorrow. Like, first thing in the morning. And so I am sticking with saving everything. But what about you? Are you starting to think that maybe you'll go for a big purge? 
that maybe your email account doesn't need to hang on to those messages from that day in 2009 when you and your friend went back and forth 16 times trying to decide whether to go see Avatar or The Hurt Locker and you just never bothered to delete all of them. Or maybe you're thinking that you'd actually like to know your mom's cell phone number by heart. To save or not to save? Let us know what you think at newtechcity.org. You can email me there. And I just want to add a quick side note. You'll notice that on this show, we didn't get into the security angle on saving everything. And sadly, it's not that we forgot. Since the NSA even spies on people just playing Angry Birds, we now know that it makes no difference to the government whether you delete or save your stuff. They're getting our information as it travels, direct from the source. If they want that folder labeled vacation ideas, they will get it. On a more uplifting note, we leave you now with the sounds of me experiencing Snapchat for the very first time, thanks to our buddy at the beginning of the show, Yaley Sean Hoffler. I had no idea that New Tech City producer Alex Goldmark was recording this actually somewhat profound moment for me. Just a reminder, I'm Manoush Samarodi. This is New Tech City, and I'll see you next week. All right, Manoush. I have here a Snapchat from our friend. Okay, look. Hold on, I have five new Snapchats. Whoa, dude, you're popular. All right, here's Sean Halfler's right. Snapchat to us. Oh, look at that. Oh, that's adorable. Look at him. He's got Love his nice it. glasses on. Totally cute. Says, that's thanks it? for having me with the thumbs up. It's gone. It's gone. That's it? It's gone forever. That was quick. Yeah, hey, he was an emotion. It's fleeting. That's how it works. They're wow. Gone. That was powerful, man. Take a mental picture. <laughs> I actually got a lot out of that. <laughs>